if you went to college, or maybe you're going to college, or maybe you have a vision of going to college someday, you often have this um, picture in your mind that you're going to go get your degree and then immediately find the perfect job in your field that's going to pay you a lot of money. My undergraduate degree was in music theory and composition. I don't know what kind of job I thought I was going to get, but the dream of finding that perfect job with the perfect income was met with the harsh reality of having to pay bills and live. And so my first job after college was manning the men's department at the shoe carnival. The shoe carnival is a chain uh, shoe store which I gotta say floored me when we opened one up here in Harrisburg because I hadn't seen one in since college. Um, now, it wasn't my dream job by any stretch of imagination. I'm not saying anything against those who work in retail. For some people, that's in their wiring. That's, that's, that is very, uh, you know, brings pleasure to them and, and they enjoy it. But not for me. It wasn't, it wasn't how God wired me. So it was a job. It wasn't a career. But I did my best. And my best was recognized. And at one point, the store manager basically offered me a management track. Um, where he said, you know, when he's a regional supervisor someday, he wanted to see me running one of his stores. And I remember thinking, get me out of here now. That is not my life track. And again, nothing against those who work in retail or in management. You know, if that's how God's wired you, great. But for me, it was nothing close to what God wired for me. I knew that God had something different for me, something that would fit more with how he had wired me and bring more fulfillment to my life. You know, in preparation for this sermon and this sermon series, I was thinking about work and jobs that I've had, and I was thinking about our relationship to work. I think in order for us to understand God's intention for us with rest, we also have to understand God's intention with us for work. The two go hand in hand biblically, and God intended there to be a balance and rhythm to their relationship. Unfortunately, it's a rhythm that I think we often get out of whack and is part of the reason that we don't rest well. And so as we consider uh, this topic of the balance of work and rest, I'm going to ask that you pray with me for God's guidance because I need that as, as much as all of us. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, we, we come before you seeking your will for us and how we live our lives the balance of how we live our lives, and what it really means to rest as you have intended for us to rest. And Father, I just pray now that you would teach us, that you would uh, use the words that you've given to me, that you would speak to us all and, and speak to our hearts that we can really understand what your intention is for us. Amen. One of the first things that we notice in the Bible is that God created us to work. Genesis chapter 2 says, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. It's interesting to me that the very first thing God does with Adam after he creates him is give him a job. Eden was supposed to be this paradise, this perfect place where Adam walked closely with God, where he enjoyed the, fullment, the fullness of God's creation. You know, when we, often, when we think about paradise... Work isn't usually a part of that. We think about ourselves laying on a beach somewhere, you know, just relaxing. But in that original paradise, the first thing that we see is that we're given a job to do. The Bible's full of verses that talk about the importance of work and warn of the dangers of being idle. 
Proverbs 19 says, Slothfulness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. Paul says this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. So it's also interesting to me that this creation that God made needed us to work and take care of it. There's a relationship between humanity and God's creation that's significant here. We were created to work and to care for God's creation, and God's creation needed us to work and care for it. That's not an accident. That's intentional. God created humanity to have dominion over his creation, and he has a purpose and an intentionality in the work that he has us to do. It's been 25 years since I graduated from college and entered into the workforce. Um, I do think that there's some truth to the midlife crisis thing because there's been many times where I've thought, 25 years, isn't that long enough? And then with a deep sigh, I realize, you know, I got probably another 20 years left until I reach retirement age. Um, And we often find ourselves longing for vacations. We long for that day that we can retire. And I used to think that that longing in us, that that looking forward to vacations, looking forward to retirement, I used to think that that longing in us was indicative of a deeper longing for heaven. Until I realized that we're going to work in heaven too. If Eden really was a sinless paradise, the, the God's uh, perfect creation, and we had jobs there, then we can trust that in the new heaven and earth, God's going to give us things to do there. The book of Revelation talks about us serving God in heaven. The difference is that the burden of work won't be there. Revelation 14, 13 says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Now the word that's used for labors here in the Greek is kopos, which that word really emphasizes the negative aspect of work, the toil of it, the burden of it. When Adam sinned, Part of the consequence of his sin was that the ground was going to be cursed. Genesis 3 says, In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. So work took on this toilsome, burdensome aspect to it that taints it, just like everything else in creation is tainted by sin. And thinking about this, I realize it's not really work itself that I want an escape from. It's the burden of work. Our relationship with work has been skewed, and until we understand a proper relationship with work, we can't understand a proper relationship with rest and how they work together. Probably the most important aspect of our relationship with work is that when we engage in proper relationship with work, we glorify God by reflecting His character, and we fulfill His purposes for us in having dominion over His creation. So we glorify God by reflecting His character. God is a God who works. He is active. Jesus said this in John chapter 5. He said, My Father is working until now, and I am working. 
There's really three phases of God working that we see in the Bible. The first phase is the initial phase of God creating. And then on the seventh day, he rested because he was completed. He was done creating. It was finished. But immediately, he goes into the work of salvation that culminates with Jesus Christ on the cross who says, it is finished. But then, and now, God is at work through His Spirit and His Spirit-filled people spreading the good news of salvation, establishing His kingdom, and patiently holding off judgment until this work is completed. God is still working. And so, all work, including physical work, has dignity because God does it. Notice, Jesus didn't come to the earth as a politician or as a uh, philosopher or as a military leader. He came as a carpenter, a skilled laborer. The first person in the Bible that's actually referred to as being filled with God's Spirit is Bezalel. Bezalel is pointed out in Exodus chapter 31, who, and he was set apart to oversee the construction of the tent of meeting. He was a craftsman. It always puzzles me that our society has come to this place where we, in our society, picture manual labor jobs as having less value than quote-unquote professional careers. Even that term, professional careers, indicates the bias that we have towards them. That's not how God sees it. Whatever work he has us do has honor. Whether you're collecting trash, whether you're staying at home to take care of children, whether you're punching in data on a computer, whatever God has us do has honor because God has assigned it to us, given it to us, and he works. So God created work. He works. He created us to work and to have dominion over his creation. But as I said, sin has damaged our relationship to work and just like it's damaged everything else. And so we have this skewed relationship to work. Tim Keller preached a sermon about this back in 2003, and he pointed out four trends in modern work. He said, first trend is that job security is at an all-time low. People change jobs rapidly. Even entire departments change very rapidly. And so uh, holding on to a job for an extended period of time is not the norm anymore. So job security is an all-time low. Second trend People at the top of the company are making more money but have to work enormous amounts of hours while people at the bottom of the company have to work multiple jobs just to make ends meet. And so we're all working more. Third trend. Technology enables us and requires us to work all the time. We are constantly attached to emails, texts, phone calls. We never get to set the boundary between work and private life. We are always available. And the fourth trend, traditional societies in human history um, have always, people have always found their meaning from their family and social roles. Work was seen as a means to living. Now, work is where we find our identity. So those first three trends indicate that we have more need for rest, and that fourth trend indicates that we have less ability to rest. I wonder if any of you can relate to those things. 
And so we tend to find our identity in our work. We've developed this culture where our work, who we are, is so intimately intertwined with what we do. In fact, when you meet somebody, isn't that one of the first questions you ask? You barely remember their name, and you're saying, what do you do for a living? Author and social critic Oz Guinness traced this shift back to the Industrial Revolution. At that time, the use and the definition of the word calling shifted from more of a scriptural understanding where humans weren't primarily called to an occupation or a place, but to a person, Jesus Christ. It shifted from that biblical understanding to a more worldly view where your calling became synonymous with your work. And so one's work became everything. Work became our meaning. You see proof of this just in some of the quotes of some leading people of that day. In the 1920s, Henry Ford said, Every thinking man knows that work is the salvation of the human race, physically, morally, and spiritually. President Calvin Coolidge said, He who builds a factory builds a temple, and he who works there worships there. When we let our work define us, so much is at stake every time we have a deadline to meet, every time, our, every time we have a task to do, our performance becomes the very measure of our worth. That's not the way God intended it to be. Our identity was never meant to be found in our work. Our identity and worth comes from being children of God, being part of his kingdom. It's not our work that defines us, but Christ for whom we do the work that does. Notice the Apostle Paul doesn't refer to himself as a Pharisee or a tent maker, both things that he did. He refers to himself as a slave of Christ. When I adopt a Christ-centered relationship with work, that is, when everything I, I recognize that everything I have is established by God, and everything I do is for Him and for His glory, as opposed to a worldly point of view where my identity is found in the work that I do, then I don't have to prove myself through the work that I do because the only one whose approval I really need has already approved of me. Our meaning in life is rooted in the fact that we bear God's image through creation and are united with Christ through our redemption. We don't need to look to our work or to those we work for to determine our self-worth. Tim Keller put it this way, Because Christ said, it is finished, when he labored on the cross, suffering to atone for our sin, God looks at our lives when we put our faith in Christ and says, it is good. Because Christ said it is finished, God looks at us and says, it is good. Psalm 127 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go to late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil for he gives to his beloved sleep. Unless we recognize that our work is from and for God, we end up doing it in vain. It's meaningless. So if we recognize that work is something that God establishes in us, then we can say with the psalmist, may the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, 
establish the work of our hands. So not only do we tend to wrap our identity in our work, the other way that we skew our relationship with work is that we tend to forget that God is our provider. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus commands his disciples not to be concerned primarily with food and clothing, but rather with righteous living and kingdom work, confident that their loving Heavenly Father will provide for their needs. And that really frees us up to seek first the kingdom of God. But why don't we rest? Well, people don't trust that God will provide for them. There's a story in Exodus chapter 16. God has brought the Israelites out of Egypt, but they have to wander around the desert for a period of time, and they start complaining, and they say, there's nothing to eat. How are we going to eat? And God says, don't worry, I'll take care of it. Every morning when you get up, you're going to go out, and there's going to be this flaky stuff all over the grass. That's manna. It's food. You gather it, and you gather what you need for that day. Don't save any for the next day, because the next day I'll take care of you again. Well, the people went out, they gathered it, and they gathered more than they needed. And the next day, they discovered that it was all spoiled. So they learned, okay, just gather what I need for the day. But God also said, on the seventh day, there will not be any manna. So on the sixth day, you gather a double portion, because on the seventh day, the Sabbath, you're not to go out and gather. Well, the seventh day came, and what they do? They went out to go look for manna. We don't trust God to provide. People desire to be self-sufficient without God, and yet the effort to do so leaves us empty. Just like with the manna in the wilderness, when we turn to God as our provider, we discover that he continually gives us exactly what we need. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't work and that we don't work diligently. It means that we don't rely solely upon our work for our provision. And that frees us up for our work to truly be for Him. In our skewed relationship with work, we think we have to work in order to mass the wealth that we need to rest. We, we work, 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 save, 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 so that we can retire. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with planning for our futures, but when we rely solely upon that for our provision and our rest, we're relying on the wrong thing. Each of us has something in our hearts that we believe falsely will bring us rest. Maybe it's financial security, maybe it's power and prestige, maybe it's uh, whatever, children, whatever. What is it for you? Many people don't experience true rest because they're either unconsciously or consciously pursuing something that promises rest but can't ever give it. Marva Dawn wrote a book called Keeping the Sabbath Holy, and in this book she describes what people find when they repent of idols and surrender completely to God. She says, When we cease striving to be God, we learn a whole new kind of contentment, the delight of the presence of God in our present circumstances. When we give up our silly rebellion against God's purposes, we discover that he provides the security for which we were searching. Author and poet Dorothy Sayers said this in 1942, I ask that work should be looked upon not as a necessary drudgery to be undergone for the purpose of making money, but as a way of life in which the nature of man should find its proper exercise and delight and so fulfill itself in the glory of God. 
that it should, in fact, be thought of as a creative activity undertaken for the love of the work itself, and that man, made in God's image, should make things as God makes them for the sake of doing well a thing that is worth doing. When Jesus says in Mark 2, that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He was saying that the commandment to keep the day of Sabbath was not just another law to keep, another thing to live up to, but it was made to meet the needs of the people. And so the Sabbath is really about liberation from having to prove oneself, from having to achieve. It is an act of trust that God is in control. God provides, not me. Jesus, as Lord of the Sabbath, provides the rest the law cannot because people can approach God and enjoy a restored relationship with Him. And so work and rest were intended to work in rhythm together. Work gives each individual the opportunity to partner with God in his goals for creation, while rest lets that person enter into communion with God in enjoyment of the creation. Rest reminds us of the proper place of work, and it keeps us balanced. There's this this balance in God's command to work and rest between the goodness of work and the sacredness of rest. And God commanded it because He knows we need it, but in our sinful selves, we're quick to neglect it. And it's so important to Him that He not only commanded it, but He made it holy. Not only was there a weekly Sabbath, but there were yearly, seven-yearly, and 49-yearly cycles of Sabbath rest for the people and for the land. And during these times, people were to cease working, to have physical rest from the hardship of work, and also to invite people to commune with God, which is really our greatest need. When we have a proper perspective on work, and we understand that rest isn't just taking a break from work, so that we can work more. It is purposeful rest and reflection on God through worship. It takes effort to rest, and it takes discipline to truly rest. To set aside work and to focus on renewal and restoration through communion with God. It's not the presence of work that makes us weary. It's the absence of rest, the absence of deep rest. The average adult needs between seven to nine hours of sleep per night, so about eight hours of sleep. Eight one-hour naps, however, is not the same thing as eight hours of sleep. When we sleep, our, our normal healthy sleep cycle takes us through this restorative process that we need for our emotional, physical, and spiritual health. Setting aside and making holy a Sabbath renews us. It refreshes us. It restores us. It keeps us grounded and balanced, relying on God for everything and keeping our lives and our work in proper perspective. John Piper, in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, says, No beaver or bee or hummingbird or ant consciously relies on God. No beaver ponders the divine pattern of order and beauty and makes a moral choice to pursue excellence because God is excellent. No beaver ever pondered the preciousness and purpose of God and decided for God's sake to make a dam for another beaver and not for himself. But humans have all these potentials because we are created in God's image. 
When God commissions us to subdue the earth, to shape it and use it, he doesn't mean to do it like a beaver. He means to do it like a human, a morally self-conscious person who is responsible to do his work intentionally for the glory of the Maker. Therefore, the essence of our work as humans must be that it is done in conscious reliance on God's power and in conscious quest of God's pattern of excellence and in deliberate aim to reflect God's glory. When we get work right, when we do everything we do unto the Lord, understanding that He gives us our work, He has a purpose in it, and He is to be glorified in it as we focus on Him and surrender to Him. And when we get rest right, when we not only cease from working, but intentionally connect with God through worship and enjoy the creation that He has made, we find the balance and rhythm in life the way God intended it. We find the ability to persevere and to find renewal in our rest and purpose in our work. It requires us to really surrender everything to God, to stop relying on ourselves, on the efforts of our own hands, to stop looking for our affirmation in what we do, but to submit all to God and trust in Him completely. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, we, um, we confess that we, we don't always rely upon you. We don't always trust you the way we should. We confess, Lord, that um, we, we rely on our own efforts way more than we ought. We ask, Lord, not only that you would forgive us, but that you would help us to see the balance that you intended for us, the freedom that comes in that, the freedom to really live for you and you alone, the freedom to see you working in this world. Lord, we ask for the joy that comes with that as well. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to surrender everything to you, to submit and trust completely. In your name, amen.